Whenever I'm able and given the chance, I take the factory tour. Have you ever done this? You go out onto the factory floor and you see how the ice cream is made or how the cars are manufactured. I love taking the factory tour. But I've noticed something. In every single factory that I've ever gone and visited, there's a banner hanging somewhere on the wall. Maybe you've seen it too. And the banner says, safety first. Sometimes it says, safety is our goal. And I look at that banner and I think, well, no, it's not. (laughs) Building Hondas is your goal. (laughs) Beating the competition is your goal. Safety is important. You want to keep all your workers injury-free, but it's all to try to achieve this larger mission that you've set out to accomplish. Safety first. I bring that up because sometimes it feels that in the church we've hung an invisible banner that says safety first or comfort is our goal. And I look at that invisible banner and I say, well, no, it's not. We have a mission in this world. We have a calling. We have a motivation. And it's not just for us to feel comfortable. Nehemiah reminds us of what our mission is. If it's not comfort, what is it? In Nehemiah, this amazing passage, he reminds us of why we're here in this world, why we're called to be part of the church, what it is that God wants us to do in this broken world. So I want us to dive into these uh, verses. It's a wonderful text. I, I'm so glad we get to study it. If you don't know, maybe if you just joined Stanwich recently, I'll just tell you that we're in this three-year-long chronological study of the Bible. We're really being led by the children. They chose this curriculum some months ago, and now we're just catching up. We want to study these texts that go through the whole Bible, and we are in this long slog right now of the end of the Old Testament, the Minor Prophets, the Intertestamental Period. It's a several-week-long sermon series. And if it feels long to you, just remember that for the people in the Bible, it lasted 400 years. We'll get to the New Testament soon, I promise. But let's look at Nehemiah to be reminded of what our mission is, what our motivation is. If you put your Bible back in the seat in front of you, I invite you to pull it back out. Nehemiah chapter 4, we're going to look at this text to find out what our mission is, what our motivation is. Nehemiah 4, verse 10, the people of God have been brought back to Jerusalem. They've started rebuilding the temple, but they realize the walls around the city are still in ruin. They're still rubbish. Let's pick up the story in verse 10. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves we will not be able to rebuild the wall. See what's happened here? The people, they've come back to Jerusalem. They're doing a good job getting the temple rebuilt, but they look out at this wall surrounding the city, and it's an enormous mess. It's too much for them to handle. It's overwhelming. And I love this line that they say. They say, by ourselves, we can't do this project. That's a good first step for us to realize, church, that we live in a world that has been broken by sin. We're surrounded by the rubble of sin, addiction, isolation, 
despair, divorce, political polarization. Shall I go on? It's all a bit overwhelming, isn't it? And sometimes we want to just say to God, it's too much rubble. By ourselves, we can't accomplish this. That's actually a good first step for us to realize that. We cannot white-knuckle our way to finishing this project. Not only that, it's actually worse than that. It's worse than being just overwhelmed by the enormity of the project. It also says that we have an enemy. Nehemiah 4, verse 11, the story continues. Our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. Church, we have a project on our hands to rebuild, to repair the rubble of this world, but we also have an enemy who wants to thwart our plans. We have an enemy who's breathing down our neck. We have an enemy who wants us to not be successful in this endeavor. This is another good step is to recognize the fact that we have an enemy. It's the devil. And he doesn't want us to repair the rubble. And sometimes... Maybe we have friends in our lives who look at us going to church and making the effort and volunteering at the places we volunteer and giving a portion of our income to the church. And maybe some of our friends say, what are you doing all that for? Just seek your own comfort instead. And this is exactly the advice that the Israelites heard. Look with me at verse 12. I find this almost comical. Verse 12, it says this, at the time the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. See, there was these other people living around Jerusalem in the suburbs, shall we say. They're living in the suburbs around Jerusalem and they see what's going on in Jerusalem, people trying to rebuild this wall while an enemy is breathing down their neck. And what do they say to them? Come on out to the countryside. It's more comfortable out here. The enemy doesn't even know we're here. Come on, just quit. Give up. And maybe you have friends who say things like that to you. Why are you putting in all this effort to being a Christian? Just seek your own comfort. And Nehemiah hears about all this. He knows what's going on in Jerusalem. They're trying to rebuild the temple. This project is too hard. They have enemies coming against them. And Nehemiah is living elsewhere. He's living in luxury and wealth and comfort. But Nehemiah leaves all of that. And he comes with these messages for the Jerusalemites. And what does he say when he hears about this? You know, he could have come to the scene and said, hey, you guys ought to come out to the suburbs where I live. It's much more comfortable. But what does he say instead? Verse 13. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Nehemiah looks at the situation, the projects that's that's too hard for them to accomplish, the enemy breathing down their neck, and Nehemiah says, remain. Remain where you are. Keep building the wall. And put a sword in your hands. Don't flee to where it's comfortable, but remain where it's difficult. Maybe God needs to remind some of us this morning 
simply to remain. It's possible you're hearing this message and you're thinking, yeah, but I I come to church and I just want to feel comfortable. Now you're telling me I got to fight? I don't want to face that enemy. Well, look with me at what happens, continuing the story in verse 15. How does the enemy respond when they simply put swords in their hands? When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. Do you see what happens here? Simply by maintaining the project they were called to do and getting weapons in their hands, the enemy backed down. Sometimes that's all it takes. The enemy backs off when he simply sees that we are remaining in the mission God has called us to. And then Nehemiah gives a little bit of instruction of how this is going to look, how this is going to work. Verse 16, from that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held a weapon with his other hand. It's hard to picture this, but I really want you to try to imagine this in your mind's eye. Picture a person with a tool in one hand to repair the rubble and a sword in the other hand. I want you to picture this because this is a picture of the church. We've been called to be repairers of the rubble. To be people who move into those difficult spaces in our culture where sin has broken or divided or distorted or destroyed. And God calls us, stick in that work. Keep that tool in your hand. Keep working on that as I've called you to do. And be mindful of the enemy who wants to thwart your plans. Keep that sword in your hand. What is our sword? It's not an actual weapon. We don't battle against flesh and blood. Our sword is the word of God. This is our sword. This is what combats the enemy. This is why our church continues to grow Because our plans are not being thwarted because the enemy sees that we preach the gospel here every week. The enemy sees so many of you throughout the week in your Bible studies, opening this word, putting it on your lap, studying it, asking the Holy Spirit to inspire it. You realize what we sang a few minutes ago, our worship is a, our weapon is a melody. Did you hear that? The melody, the words we sing from Scripture goes out into the atmosphere and the devil backs down when he sees that we are people of the Word. We remain in our mission, though it's hard. There's a few artistic depictions of the stories from the Bible. I want to show you this one, Josh, if you could put that up. This is the book of Nehemiah depicted in art form. You see the seriousness of these guys? They're rebuilding the wall, but they have weapons in their hands. This is the picture of the church right here. This is us. Called to his mission, remaining, not fleeing. About 15 years ago, before my time here, some of you were here, there was a project on our church's hands That was too big for us to manage on our own. By ourselves, we couldn't accomplish it. 
And it was the purchasing of this land and the construction of this building. And it was so costly, it was so expensive that I'm told a fundraising consultant came in and the leaders of the church at the time said, we want to raise this amount of money. And the guy looked at him and said, how many people are in your church? And they told him, and he said, it's, that's too much. You can't, no, no church has ever raised that amount of money with that number of people. And yet, here we are. Why? Because in Nehemiah's words, God is great and awesome. By ourselves, we couldn't accomplish it, but God through us, God giving faith and giving outrageous generosity to people, saying, I will sacrifice, I will do what's uncomfortable, and I will help construct this testament to the glory of God. And in a similar way, our church project in Stamford tells the same story. There's a lot of rubble, so to speak, in the south end of Stanford. It's hard to have a church campus there. I'm tempted, and I get the advice, as some of the Israelites did ten times, come, come out to where we are. I get advice from people saying, hey, when are you going to cut off that Stanford project? It's too hard. Don't you know that the south end of Stanford is an almost impossible place to plant a church? The millennials moving in are going to move out two years later, so it's hard to get traction with them. The wealth gap is so huge, the whole community is divided. People are living in isolation. The neighborhood where we've been called is a really difficult street. There's a liquor store right next to where an AA meeting meets. Imagine that. There's people attempting drug deals just a couple blocks away. There's homelessness. It's hard, you guys. It's hard. And yet God says, remain. Remain. With a tool in one hand and a sword in the other. I had to go through this process when I became senior pastor. I had to evaluate is this Stanford campus project worth our time and our energy? Should we keep rebuilding the rubble down there? And I would ask myself week after week, I would find the location. Some of you have been there. You've worshipped there. You park your car in this dimly lit lot. You find this barely described um, metal door with not great signage because the lights are so low. And you open up this metal door and you walk up this cement staircase. I kind of feel sometimes when I go worship in Stanford that this must be what it felt like to go to a speakeasy during Prohibition because you have to know about it to know about it. But I find my way up to the second floor of this building. And I wonder sometimes, is is God going to show up once again? Is God going to be great and awesome? And week after week, he is. That room packs out with other people who know how to get there. And we all worship God together. It's the most beautiful thing. God is great and God is awesome by ourselves It would be a failed project by now. There's this phrase at Alpha. David and I went to Alpha training, and they said, Alpha is designed to fail unless God shows up. Our Stanford project is designed to fail unless there actually is a God who shows up, who elicits true worship out of those who gather there. It's a beautiful thing week after week. We become repairers of the rubble instead of people who seek our own comfort and flee that neighborhood. 
I'm picturing right now, I'm picturing Sunday night worship, and I'm picturing our dear friend who was invited to come worship with us some time ago by a member of the congregation. He, this man lives in the train station. He's homeless. And he looks and smells like a homeless person. And he comes every single week to worship. And he loves coming in to worship. He has such a joyful smile on his face. And you know what he says about us, church? He says, and he tells everybody with an ear to hear, he says, Stanwich Church is my family. And that's what we've become for him. Some of you have really stepped in and helped him in very meaningful ways. I'm picturing another young man who also worships on Sunday nights. He's a millennial. He's a 20-something. He's a hedge fund guy who makes a ton of money. And he's got his own set of issues. Pastor David does an awesome job of meeting with him, discipling him, encouraging him, leading him in the faith. And now he's leading other of his non-Christian friends to Christ. And every Sunday I see these two men that the world would call homeless or hedge fund. I see these guys worshiping God together and I see brothers in Christ. I see repairers of the rubble. Why? Because like the people in Nehemiah's time, we've chosen to remain in Stanford with tools in one hand to keep setting up and tearing down that church every single Sunday with the folding chairs and the praise band equipment and all that and a sword in the other. And we remain in our mission, though it's hard. And one of the beautiful things about having one church in two locations, Greenwich and Stanford, is that it forces us to work together. Same thing for the people in Nehemiah's time. Look with me at verse 19 to see how God calls us to to rally together when we're separated. Verse 19 says this, And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, The work is great and widely spread, and we are separated on the wall far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. It's a beautiful thing watching these two very different communities rally together. Last Sunday, I don't know if you noticed it, but when Gina preached so powerfully, there were several people here from the Stanford campus. Many of them were Pivot graduates, and they were sitting right over there, and they were bringing such a spirit of praise and worship. It just changed the whole atmosphere of the room. I think we were all just riding on the wave that they brought in. It was awesome. And some of you, I notice many weeks, there's people from Greenwich who go down and worship in Stanford. If you've never done that, I encourage you to do that. If you need trouble getting there, just ask. We'll tell you how to, get, how to find it. <laughs> we want a new space that's better to find. You can pray for that. And I love seeing people worship there in Stanford. We rally together, see? Because the enemy is threatening out there. But when he sees this type of thing happening, the type of division that the world loves to have. Oh, people live in Greenwich, don't hang out with people live in the south end of Stanford. But when we unite as a body, as a church, when we rally together, the enemy is, he's put at bay. He's got no weapon against that. He tries, but we raise a hallelujah. We read the Bible. We lift our sword, and the enemy flees. 
I've been speaking this entire sermon in terms of the, the corporate message here for us as a church, because I really think God is speaking to us through this. But I know we're made up of a whole bunch of individuals. So I don't know each one of your situations, the rubble in your life. The places in your life that sin has broken. But there might be somebody here this morning who just needs to hear this word from the Holy Spirit. Remain. Maybe there's a banner you've hung over your life that says, comfort is my goal. God didn't put that banner there. Remain with a tool in one hand and a sword in the other. Keep working on it. Keep working on it, church. God will be glorified. But I want to leave us with a promise. These last few words of our reading, did you notice them? Our God will fight for us. Our God will fight for us. I think Nehemiah had no way of knowing really what he was saying there. He was pointing ahead 400 years to what would happen when Jesus didn't choose comfort or safety, but he left heaven at great risk to himself, at great risk to his body, at great risk to his life. And he came here to earth and all of its brokenness, all of the rubble, and he came and he said, I will be the repairer of the rubble. I will take your sins upon me. I will die in your place. I will take the punishment for sin. And then he rose out of the grave, conquering that enemy that still breathes threats against us. So if the rubble seems too much, if the project seems too hard, you're right. It is. But remain. Because we have a God who fights for us. Amen.